Franklin, Tennessee, and we also want to welcome all of you who may be watching by the internet, on YouTube, Ustream, or Sermon Audio Video. We have some special things going on today, and with that, we're going to introduce Brother Joshua Walsh, who's going to lead us in hymn singing and praise this morning uh, as we gather here to worship the Lord. Everybody, number 186, I believe. 186 in the hymnal of the church is one foundation. If you'd all stand up with us as we sing number 186, and it's up on the board. <clears throat> the church is one foundation, is Jesus Christ her Lord. She is his new creation by water and the word. From heaven he came and sought her to be his holy bride. With his own blood he bought her, and from her life he died. Elect from every nation, yet one or all the earth. Her charter. She on earth hath union with God the three in one, and mystic sweet communion with those whose rest is one. Oh, happy ones and holy, Lord, give us grace that we, like them the meek and lowly, on high may dwell with thee. You all can be seated for some announcements, and then we'll come back and sing again. Maybe Todd got flooded out, so. All right, change of plans. We're going to keep singing now. But there's nothing wrong with that. <laughs> well, maybe we'll have some announcements a little bit later, or we'll just send an email out. <clears throat> so this one here, this is hymn number 145 in your hymnal. The words, words will be up on the board, um, but it's number 145. We're going to sing it to the tune of number two, which is Love Divine. And I uh, just found this hymn this week as I was going through the hymnal. Wonderful words, if you listen to it, and... It's a beautiful melody. Hail thou once despised Jesus, hail thou Galilean King. 
Thou didst suffer to release us, Thou didst free salvation bring. Hail Thou agonizing Savior, bearer of our sin and shame. By Thy merits we find favor, life is given through Thy name. You all got the hang of that? Paschal Lamb by God appointed, all our sins on Thee were laid. By Almighty love anointed, Thou hast full atonement made. All Thy people are forgiven through the virtue of Thy blood. Opened is the gate of heaven, peace is made twixt man and God. Jesus, hail enthroned in glory, there forever to abide. All the heavenly hosts adore thee, seated at thy Father's side. Therefore, sinners, thou art bleeding. There thou dost our place prepare. Ever for us interceding till in glory we appear. Worship, honor, and blessing thou art worthy to receive. Loudest praises without ceasing, meet it is for us to give. Help ye bright angelic spirits, bring your sweetest, noblest lays. Help to sing our Savior's merits, help to chant Emmanuel's praise. I hope you all got a chance to really think about those words maybe it's kind of hard to think about it to that melody but very very good hymn number 37 <clears throat> how great thou art <clears throat> i think we've got a few more to do but if you all can stand with us <clears throat> as we praise the lord <clears throat> oh lord my god when i in awesome wonder Consider all the worlds thy hands have made. I see the stars, I hear the rolling thunder, thy power throughout the universe displayed. Then sings my soul, my Savior God, to how great thou art, how great thou art, then sings my soul, my Savior God, to thee, how great thou art, how great thou art, when through the woods and forest glades I I look down. 
some lofty mountain grandeur and hear the brook and feel the gentle breeze then sings my soul my savior god to thee how great thou art how great thou art then sings my soul my savior god to thee how great thou art how great thou art and when i think that god his son not sparing sent him to die i scarce can take it on that cross my burdens gladly bearing he bled and died to take away my sin then sings my soul my savior God to thee how great thou art how great thou art sings my soul my savior god to thee how great thou art how great thou art when christ shall come with shouts of acclamation and take me home what joy shall fill my heart I shall bow in humble adoration and there proclaim my God how great thou art then sings my soul my Savior God to thee how great thou art how great thou art sings my soul my savior god to thee how great thou art how great thou art how great thou art how great thou art amen God. Mm. Isn't it an amazing thing to think of the Lord coming on the clouds for us? Heaven came down and glory filled my soul. 473. <clears throat> Have you all had a good week this week? Did everybody avoid some of the flooding? Everybody stay out of that. I can't believe that it came so close to what we had in 2010. We're supposed to get more. <clears throat> Wonderful, wonderful day, day I will never forget. After I'd wandered in darkness away, Jesus my Savior I met. Oh, what a 
tender, compassionate friend. He met the need of my heart. Shadows dispelling with joy, I am telling. He made all the darkness depart. Oh, heaven came down and glory filled my soul. Let's hear it. Filled my soul. When at the cross my Savior made me whole, made me whole, my sins were washed away, and my night was turned to day, when heaven came down and glory filled my soul. Born of the Spirit with life from above, to God's family divine Justified fully through Calvary's love Oh, what a standing is mine And the transaction so quickly was made When as a sinner I came And took of the offer of grace He did proffer He saved me, oh, praise His dear name sublime and it's because at that wonderful day when at the cross I believed riches eternal and blessings supernal from his precious hand I received oh heaven came down and glory filled my soul when at the cross my Savior made me whole. My sins were washed away, and my night was turned to day. When heaven came down and glory filled my soul. I tell you what, let's do this. Let's do the chorus again, and I want this side, when we get to it, y'all sing that refrain of, Filled my soul. Can we do that? Let's shout it. Heaven came down and glory filled my soul. Let's hear it over here. Filled my soul. There we go. When at the cross my Savior made me whole, made me whole, my sins were washed away. Turn today when heaven came down and glory filled my soul. All right. <laughs> okay, y'all can be seated.
Well, we greet all of you in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ this morning. It's good to see you. And although I cannot see those who are visiting us by the internet, we welcome you also. I have been repeating constantly that we are on Ustream, YouTube, and also Sermon Audio, which is now Sermon Audio Video. Very easy to get. You just go on your uh, computer or your phone and go to Sermon Audio and type in Grace Church at Franklin and it'll pull it up and you can watch the services or you can just listen. Uh, and I want to take a moment today. We're going to have a baptism, but we've decided today to share some things with you to give you, I hope, a deeper appreciation of your prayers, your support of this work here. We support several ministries. You support them. The Lord supports them through you. One of them is Grace Centers of Hope. Our old friend Kent Clark up in Michigan. We got this card from them. Dear Grace Church, thank you. They said for 10 years, we've been supporting them probably more like 20, 20, 25 years. Thank you for your 10 years of ongoing commitment to our ministry, your faithfulness, and compassion for people in need is what keeps us striving to do better every day. Thank you for all the blessings you've given over the years and for helping to change a community one person at a time. We are thankful for you. And this is signed uh, by Garcia, uh, Laurie Garcia. Our friend Kent Clark and his wife Pam are the ones who head up that whole work up there. They have a church. And they have a home for unwed mothers, and they, have, they take people off the street. But what I like about them is this. They're different than many so-called rescue missions in that they don't just feed them and sleep them. They take them off the street, they train them, they get them a job, and they have accountability. They have someone to whom they are accountable. And uh, then, once their lives are straightened out, they give them an opportunity to do other things, including buy a home. There's some of them up there that own, now own a home that never have had a home in their life. It's a remarkable work, and uh, they have a much higher rate of success because of giving people a reason to get up in the morning. Uh, after Adam sinned in the Garden of Eden, and the Lord said, from now on, you're not going to have any free pickings. You're not going to get be getting anything easy. You're going to have to work by the sweat of your brow. That wasn't just a punishment. That was something that was good for us. You know what happens to us if we don't have anything to do. You know what your grandmother used to say, don't you? She said, idleness is the devil's workshop, and that's exactly right. And the more people are supported today by the government and other things, the more idle they are and the more trouble we're going to have. We need to do all we can to try to keep that from happening. All right? Secondly, here's a letter uh, from, I wrote it down here, let's see, um, Nigeria. A letter from Nigeria, Brother uh, Yonanka Yuchekhubu from Nigeria. And he wrote a letter and uh, he asked for some 
copies of Bibles. And uh, he said, would you, would you send me some copies of Bible dictionaries, Bible commentaries, or other powerful Christian books in 90 English King James Version, he says, Bibles to place into the hands of new believers without Bibles to read the Word of God and be close to Christ each day. This is the second time of writing without a reply. Now, I don't remember him writing the first time. He may have. Maybe it got lost in the mail. That's a long way from here to Nigeria. It could have gotten lost. But what happens is Dr. Foster took that over. I turned that over to Dr. Nelson Foster, and he took that over. He also had some questions about the return of Christ, about marriage, uh, and so on. And uh, Dr. Foster sent him uh, uh, a letter, and this church uh, wired $360 to Mr. Oshua, who runs a, a Bible bookstore over there for the Bibles that we've been discussing. And in regards to your questions that you attached the email and sent me, it is best to give Scripture references. Let God be true and every man a liar. This is what Nelson wrote to him. So he asked a question about is Christ coming again, and Nelson said 2 Peter 3 and 1 Corinthians 15. He asked a question about marrying an unbeliever, and he gave him Scripture references to that. And he asked a question about what if unbelievers marry and one is converted, and gave him Scriptures about that. Plus, he sent the money and bought those Bibles. So this fellow wrote back, and he said, Dear brother in the Lord, God bless you. My heart, soul, and mind rejoice to hear this good news. Thank you so very much. I will go to the bookstore on Monday to pick up the Bibles, and I will give you a report on the distribution. Thanks again for the answers you gave to me. They have convinced me. <laughs> may, may the Lord bless you really good. Thanks, Yonanka. So that's from Nigeria. Now, we couldn't do that without your support, without your giving on a consistent basis. Besides uh, supporting Grace Centers of Hope, we also support Dan Shanks. We need to have Dan come up here and speak to us a few times. But he's in down in Dominica in the U.S. Virgin Islands. He's been in several of those islands, but he's been living there now for several years. He used to live in St. Kitts many years ago. And this Dominica, U.S. Virgin Islands uh, in the Caribbean Sea. And he's been down there. I know Dan's been there over 30 years. He's probably been there longer than that, but he's been there a long time. He's a faithful missionary. He's a talented guy. He's a good preacher, and he's a solid, sovereign grace man among those people down there. Then we have our Internet ministry. We couldn't have an Internet ministry without you and without these faithful brothers up here who help us, especially uh, Joe Moran and Todd Horton and Dale Hazelwood and Ken Humphreys and sometimes Larry Smith helps up there. My grandson Jet helps up there. And there are others. Mark Horton helps up there. I don't know who all is there. We couldn't have that ministry without them. You remember the man that was baptized here two or three months ago, uh, D. Tomas. Uh, he's from Mozambique, Africa. And they watched this service uh, they watch this service on the internet over there in Mozambique, Africa. And I think they're telling other people about it, so we never know who's 
uh, watching he and his wife, Mary Jane, and they, they have triplets. How'd you like to have triplets? Levi, Amaya, and Griffin. And they, they are over in Mozambique. Uh, then lastly this morning, well, next to lastly, I've got some letters here, one from Louisiana, and it says, please continue sending the, the CDs. Uh, I've got another one here from Georgia. Uh, please consent, uh, uh, continue sending the CDs. These are all for Brother Hazelwood. Uh, he faithfully uh, duplicates those CDs and mails them and gets them out. And if there are any of you watching by Internet this morning and you have it written to tell us that you want to continue to, to receive those CDs or DVDs, you need to do that because we just try, we're just trying to keep down the cost. It's very expensive today uh, to mail things. And we don't want to be wasting money and wasting the Lord's money sending uh, CDs or DVDs to people who really don't need them. Over the years, it is absolutely amazing. Um, I could have several messages, really, on the amazing supply of our sovereign God for this congregation. Absolutely amazing. Most of you know that when you pass this building, the next little building on the right, we were down there for 35 years. Now, it didn't have a red roof on it then. It just had a regular shingled roof. Now, it has a red metal roof, but we were there for 35 years. We've been up here, I think, since about 2006. And uh, so all of those years, the Lord has just supplied miraculously. Well, when we built this building... We did everything we could to pay for as much as we could up front. Everything. Somebody paid for all these uh, beautiful stained glass windows. I don't know if you noticed, but it tell, tell the story of the Scripture. That first one back there starts with the creation. And it works all the way around until the death of our Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, those things are not inexpensive. They're expensive. Somebody paid for that. Uh, somebody uh, helped pay for the pews, the, all kinds of things. We, we prepaid as much as we could up front. But then when we had prepaid everything we could and given all we could, we still had uh, a, a little over a million dollars. And so we went to the bank and financed uh, the bank, uh, the million dollars. And we've been making payments on that thing of several thousand dollars a month for years well, an old friend that used to worship with us many, many, many years ago when we were over here in the old building, his name was William Dodds, D-O-D-D-S, we call him Bill. And uh, at one point when we needed some, some help uh, and he heard about it, he'd been listening to our DVDs, CDs, way back when we had cassettes. He's been a long time, probably 35 years or more, supporter of this assembly and when he heard we had some needs the first thing he did he sent us some stock he had some stock and he sent some stock to us and said use that however you want to use it well at the time we decided that we would put that stock in a reinvestment program and that's what we do stocks pay dividends many of them pay dividends and you can reinvest your dividends instead of taking your dividends you just let it reinvest and it buys more of the same stock so we still have that stock today. Well, uh, about two years ago, maybe a year and a half ago, he called me one day on the phone 
Uh, he had moved, uh, been living for quite some time in Nebraska, in Lincoln, Nebraska. And he called me on the phone and he said, uh, listen, Bill, he said, I've been uh, here from time to time. You know, you got this beautiful building and all of that. And he said, I, I understand you still owe a pretty good sum on it. And I said, yeah. And he said, how much do you owe? And I forget what, what it was at the time that I told him that we owed. And he said, well, I'm going to send you a gift that should take care of most all of that. And he sent a check to this church uh, for $100,000, a check for $100,000. And you know what we did with it? We took a vacation down to the Caribbean. <laughs> now, what we did was we paid this note off. We paid the note off in this, in this uh, assembly. And then we put the rest of the money into our account, and we use it for things like you've heard about this morning, missions and other things like that. Uh, I'm telling you, folks, the Lord is able to supply if you just trust Him. If you put it all in His lap, it's not, it's not our work, it's His work. And as long as it's His work and it's for His glory, He will supply. And I want to remind you of that. So thank you so much, all of you. We wanted to take this opportunity today to thank you uh, for your giving and know that we don't just try to see what we can save up. We're not a saving institution. Uh, we're not a bank, and we don't want to uh, be in that number mentioned in the book of Revelation, rich and increased with goods and have need of nothing. We want to use what we have for ministries, but we don't just haphazardly put it out there. We try to check things out and try to support things that are worthy of support. So I want to ask you to thank the Lord, to praise the Lord for what He's enabled us to do, what He is enabling us to do now. And I want to thank you uh, that the Lord is using you to supply all of these needs. We have other things we've got to do. For example, this spring, we got to repave our parking lot out there. You know what it's going to cost? $38,000. And that was the smallest. That was the smallest estimate that we got. One company wanted over $50,000 to do it. That parking lot has served us now for 16, 17 years, and it has to be redone, restriped. We got to do that. I don't know if you noticed, but when you walk outside today, you look at that steeple up there. It looks like a brand new steeple. That's because we hired some guys to come out here and clean this entire, entire building. Uh, it wasn't cheap. Uh, cost about $15,000 to do that, but now you got a building out there that looks like it looks like it's brand new. It looks like we just moved into it. We couldn't do that without you. So we try to trying to keep up what the Lord has given us here as well as support ministries uh, that are worthy of support. Let's pray. Our Father, we call upon you in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you for the miraculous, wonderful way that you have and are still supplying. We pray, Father, that you'll help us to be faithful to the truth of the gospel as it's revealed in your holy word. We thank you, Lord, for all of those who have given and do still give over the years, and some of them really sacrificially, that we are able to do all of the things we're able to do. Father, we pray that you'll lead us by your spirit and show us what we need to be doing. And that we know that if you lead us to do something, you'll supply what we need to do it. 
We thank you for your graciousness. We thank you for your healing. We thank you for your help. We thank you, Lord, for your, the happiness you've given us. We thank you for the homes that we have. And most of all, we thank you for the hope that we have in our Lord Jesus Christ. Ask you to bless us this morning as we continue and attempt to worship you. And we ask it in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ for his sake. Amen. is here today. They also have not been here for quite a while, and Tom and Marilyn, we're glad you're here. <laughs> We've missed you. All right. Stand together with me, please. I never like to open God's Word without appealing to the Lord for His help, His assistance, giving us ears to hear and hearts that understand. Father, I stretch my hand to thee. No
from 1st Corinthians chapter, or 1st Thessalonians chapter 1. Just three verses beginning in verse 2. Verse 2. We give thanks to God always for you all, making mention of you in our prayers. Brethren, I hate to say this, but it sounds like it's too loud up here. I hear an echo. Verse 3, remembering without ceasing your work of faith and labor of love and patience of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ in the sight of God our Father, knowing, brethren, beloved, your election of God. May the Lord add his blessings to the reading of his word and let God's people say praise the Lord. And you may be seated. Now, we've been considering reasons for Christians to rejoice. We Christians are a peculiar lot. If we are spared for another day, or another week, or another month, or another year, or another decade, we have reasons to rejoice. But if not, we still have reasons to rejoice. To live is to be blessed of the Lord, and to die is gain. For whether we live or whether we die, we are the Lord's. Thus, both in life and even in death, we can rejoice. Now, for the last few studies, we have considered from verse 4 our election of God as a reason to rejoice. As it says in verse 4, knowing, brethren, beloved, your election of God. Now, it is a shame that many are not at all familiar with the doctrine of election. And why is that? Mainly because the pastors and the teachers of the churches have not taught their congregations. They find reasons, it seems, to overlook this teaching or to explain it away. Now, there's no real excuse, in my opinion, no excuse at all for overlooking this wonderful doctrine. It is everywhere directly revealed in the Scriptures, and in many other places it is strongly implied. For example, how is it that God chose and called Abraham out of Ur of the Chaldees, but not anyone else? How is it that God chose Israel to be His peculiar people, but passed by the other nations of the world? Out of the seven or eight sons of Jesse, why did the Lord choose David, but refuse the others? Why did the Lord choose Jacob, but reject Esau? Why did the Lord choose Isaac, but pass by Ishmael? Why did the Lord choose Saul of Tarsus, a man who hated Christians and their Christ. As I mentioned last week, the Lord said to Ananias, that's the person that the Lord sent to Saul, whom he had blinded on the road to Damascus to arrest Christians. And Ananias protested and said, I, I don't want, you know, really want to go to this guy. I've heard about him. 
And this is what the Lord said to Ananias about Saul of Tarsus, Go thy way, for he is a chosen vessel unto me. He's going to bear my name before the Gentiles and before kings and before even the children of Israel. Acts chapter 9, verse 15. And here's a very important question, one which should interest all of us who are believers. Why did the Lord choose you? Why did He choose me? As I've shown in previous studies, if you are in Christ, you are in the ecclesia, the church, the church of the called out ones, the church of the firstborn. You are part of the spiritual body of Christ. And no one can be in the spiritual body of Christ unless he or she is chosen and called and added. As we read in the New Testament of the New Testament church in Jerusalem in Acts chapter 2, they that gladly received his word were baptized. And the same day there were added unto them about 3,000 souls, praising God and having favor with all the people. But here's the question, who added them? But the next phrase says this, And the Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved. Yes, the God of Scripture is an electing God. He is a God who chooses. And let me say at the outset, as I have said many times in the past over the years, our Lord, our Savior, our God needs no justification for any of His actions. We say with our Lord Jesus Christ, as I have subtitled this, I don't see it up there on the board, but uh, I have su subtitled this, uh, Even so, Father, for so it seemed good in thy sight. And I got those words from Matthew chapter 11, where the Lord Jesus Christ said this, I thank thee, O Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because thou hast hid these things from the wise and the prudent, and you have revealed them unto babes. I'm reading from Matthew 11, 25 through 27. And why, tell me this, you have hid these things from the wise and prudent, you've revealed them unto babes. And so I ask this question, why does he do this? But here's the answer of our Savior. Even so, Father, for so it seemed good in thy sight. Then he goes on to say, All things are delivered unto me of my Father, and no man knows the Son but the Father, neither does any man know the Father but the Son, and he to whomsoever the Son will reveal him. So the answer to the question, why does God do what He does? Why does He save some? Why does He pass by others? The answer is, even so, Father, for so it seems good in thy sight. Jesus does not attempt to explain the will of the Father, but rather justifies the Father's will, whatever that will is. Let me ask you this question. Who will call God into account? Before whose bar will He be called? Who would dare question Him? As the Apostle Paul says in Romans chapter 9 and verse 20, O man, who are you to reply against God? Will the clay 
that's made into a pot, say to the potter, why have you made me like this? What are you doing? I demand an answer from you. Give an account to me. Would you say that? Would you, any of you say that to your Creator? Nebuchadnezzar, the famous Babylonian king, happens to agree with the Apostle Paul. That is, he too does not think God can be called into account for any of his choices. Listen to his testimony, Nebuchadnezzar's testimony from Daniel 4, verse 35. He says, All the inhabitants of the earth are reputed as nothing. And he does according to his will in the army of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth, and none can stay his hand, that is, none can stop him, and say unto him, What are you doing? My friends, it is important for us to understand that there is no law, there is no set of laws to which the high and holy God must give alliance, must give allegiance. There are no commandments which he must obey. Why is that? He is a law unto himself. He answers to no one but himself. And this means that to know what is right we must only observe Him. He is right. He is always right. He always does what is right. He cannot do wrong. Let every man, as Dr. Foster said to the fellow over there, let every man be a liar, let God be true. Now here's what this means now on a practical level. And this is where we're going to settle down just for this study. When God Almighty chooses and saves a sinner, that is right. But when he rejects and passes by and damns the unbeliever, that is right. When he changes the hard heart and the resisting will of an unbeliever, and when he grants that unbeliever repentance and faith and brings that sinner to himself to have mercy upon him, that is right. When he passes by an unbeliever and leaves that unbeliever, him or her, in their unbelief and allows them to perish in their sins, that is right. What is right, dear friends, is not what we perceive as right, but what he says and does. We don't bring God down and say, now explain this to me. I don't think this is right. But we are to submit ourselves and our wills to him and say, whatsoever seems good in thy sight, that is what is right. Oh, somebody says, well, I don't think God should damn anyone. Well, let me ask you a question. You think you're more merciful than God? Are you more merciful than the Almighty? Do you dare think that you have a greater heart of mercy than He? To put it another way, is God's standard of justice wrong? Are you willing to charge God with injustice? As Paul says, he knows people are going to ask this question in Romans 9.14 because of what he says, is there unrighteousness with God? Are you willing to put your idea of justice over against the justice of God? What do you know? What do I know? You and I only know what we know in part. We don't know anything or anyone perfectly. 
This is part of the reason why Jeremiah the prophet said this in Jeremiah chapter 9, uh, Jeremiah chapter 17 rather, verse 9. He says, The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? I do not know it, and you do not know it. But then the Lord makes this statement. This is in the next verse, Jeremiah 17. He says, I, the Lord, search the heart. I try the mind, even to give every man according to his ways and according to the fruit of his doing. Now, my dear friends, if the Lord gave each of us according to our ways and the fruit of our doing, in other words, what we deserve, hell would be our final abode. The bottomless pit would be our everlasting dwelling place. Do you understand then why David, said to be a man after God's own heart, said this, and he said this in utter amazement. Psalm 32, Blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven. Blessed is he whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man under whom the Lord imputes not his or her iniquity. Now there's no question but that we have all transgressed. Everyone has sinned. Everyone has committed iniquitous acts. But there are some whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered, who are not charged with their iniquities. And Paul was so inspired. Why don't you turn to Romans chapter 9, please? Paul was so inspired by what he read David, David's statement that I've just read to you from Psalm 32, he was so inspired by that that he includes that in his epistle to the Romans, Romans chapter 9. He mentions these very same things in this epistle. Romans chapter, I said Romans chapter 9, let's go back to Romans chapter 4. Romans chapter 4. We're going to end up in Romans 9, but let's, let's go to Romans 4 for right now. Romans chapter 4, he says in verse 6, even as David, see he's just quoting David that I just quoted in Psalm 32, even as David describes the blessedness of the man unto whom God imputes righteousness without works, saying, Blessed are they whose iniquities are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord will not impute sin or charge with sin. In other words, what I owe God is death. That's what I owe Him for my sins. But He doesn't charge me with my own sins he has charged his son with my sins, and he has given me his son's righteousness. How blessed is the man or the woman who is forgiven, whose sin is covered. But there's another side of the coin. Every coin has a heads and a tails, right? There are some who are left to their just deserts. Let's go to Romans chapter 1. Romans chapter 1. Some are left to their just deserts. 
Romans chapter 1, after telling us he's not ashamed of the gospel in verse 16, he begins to talk about the wrath of God in verse 18. The wrath of God is revealed against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold the truth in unrighteousness. Now let me ask you a question. What is the cause of ungodliness and unrighteousness? And I don't have an idea of sin. I know sin is the cause of it. But what's the cause of the real bait, bottom base cause of ungodliness and unrighteousness? It is this. It is unbelief. If men believed in a holy God who would punish them, they would repent and they would seek the Lord. Unbelief is the cardinal sin. Unbelief is the root of all ungodliness and unrighteousness. Now listen to me. You can name any sin you want to. I don't care how horrible it is how heinous it is. You name any sin you want to, and I can show you somebody that committed that sin that God had mercy on and saved. Anybody. But, but, if you die in unbelief, you're done. There's no forgiveness for unbelief if you die in unbelief. The worst sin of all sins is unbelief. It's worse than fornication. It's worse than adultery. It's worse than murder. It's worse than covetousness. It's worse than blasphemy because it is the damning sin. And I say if men believed in a God who will extract justice, they would seek the Lord. Now how does unbelief express itself? Notice again verse 18. He says, who hold, I don't know what version you have, I'm reading from the King James Version, who hold the truth in unrighteousness. Now, I have a footnote here that says, hold back. But I researched it, and really what it literally means is hold down. Men who hold down the truth. That is, it's like a book. It's like there's a lot of revelation to tell men, to witness to men who they are, what they are. They need a Savior, and they hold it down. They keep everything down so that it won't witness to them. This is how unbelief expresses itself, refusal to acknowledge the truth, literally to hold down the truth. Now watch this now. There is no excuse for unbelief. Verses 19 and 20. Because that which may be known of God is manifest in them, for God has showed it unto them, for the invisible things of Him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even His eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. Now let's, let's, let's open this up just a little bit here. Every human being, according to verse 19, every human being has an internal witness. It says, that which may be known of God is manifest in them. They have an internal witness. This witness is found in the soul of man. 
We are made by God, and His fingerprints are all over us. And you can let the soul here, if you want to, correspond to the mind. And let me tell you this about the soul. The soul can see what the eyes cannot. You can sense things in your soul, in your spirit, that you don't see with your eyes. And this is part of this witness here. Now, this internal witness complements or amens the external witness. We've got a witness inside and we've got an external witness. Verse 20, the invisible things, things that you can't see with your eyes, but you can see with your mind and your soul, the invisible things of Him from the creation of the world are clearly seen. Well, you don't see them with your eyes. You don't see invisible things with your eyes, but you see them with your soul. You see them with your mind. You know they are real, though your eyes cannot see them. You haven't seen electricity, but go ahead and stick your finger in a receptacle. You'll find that it's real. I don't know how my television works. I don't even know how a light switch works, but I know this. If I stick my finger in the plug, I'll find out there's a real thing called electricity that I can't see with my eyes, but nevertheless, I can certainly sense that it's real. Now, this external witness, the internal witness, complements or amens the external witness. There's a power, he says here. Notice this now. He says, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power. Now, that word power is the word dunamis. It's a word from which we get our word dynamite. He said there's a dynamite power and Godhead. Now, notice the external witness, the external witness, the created world, this witness reveals two truths to the internal witness. Number one, there is a power behind the creation. And number two, this power is not an impersonal force, but a Godhead, a divine creator personality. So the creation of the world, listen now, the creation of the world won't give you saving faith, but it will interpret faith. It helps us make sense of what is behind the creation. Now, as I already mentioned back in verse 18, to deny these witnesses, the internal witness and the external witness, one must intentionally hold down the truth. Because of these two witnesses to the soul, verse 20, every human being who is in unbelief is without excuse. And so God's wrath is revealed against all ungodliness and unrighteousness, verse 18, and there is no excuse for that unbelief, verses 19 and 20. Now, what happens if one persists in unbelief? What happens? One thing that happens is the heart will grow harder and harder. And the second thing is this. It's a danger. There's a danger of passing a place of no return. Passing a place of no return. This progression towards the point of no return begins when men began to stifle the light, the internal witness that's in them. 
And what they do then is they turn inward. Look at verse 21. They seek their own glory. Verse 21, when they knew God, they glorified Him, not as God. They were not thankful, but they became vain in their imaginations. As a result, their foolish heart was darkened. And see, here's what happens. When we reject the inner witness and the external witness, the witness of the creation, then we turn inwardly to our own glory. And then we become unthankful. Unthankful, verse 21. And then we begin, verse 21, we begin to imagine God to be other than what He is. Well, how do we begin to imagine God to be? We begin to imagine Him to be more like ourselves. And what results from that? What results from that is the heart, verse 21, the heart is darkened because light leaves, more darkness enters, and then the judgment becomes clouded. Look at verse 22. The judgment becomes clouded. Professing themselves to be wise, they became fools. In other words, the more foolish men get in denying these witnesses, the wiser they think they are. These atheists and these infidels think they're wise. Barnard used to say that. Say, what's an infidel, Brother Barnard? He said, in for hell. An infidel is one who's in for hell, he said. So when your judgment becomes clouded, you think you're smart, you think you're wise, you think you figured it all out, and you're really, in God's sight, you've become a fool. And they're corruptible view of God begins to bear corruptible fruit in their religion so that they change or literally exchange the great and incorruptible God. Look at this now. Verse 23, they changed. See that word changed? It's really the word exchanged. See, anytime you move something out, you got to substitute something in its place. If you move some truth out, you've got to have, in order, in order for you to develop, uh, to get rid of an old habit, you've got to replace it with a new habit. You never get rid of it just by trying to stop it. You've got to replace it with something. And so what he says here is they exchange the glory of the uncorruptible God into an image made like corruptible man and birds and four-footed beasts and creeping things. Now I want you to notice the progression there from the highest to the lowest. They began to exchange in history. Men began to exchange the, in their religion. They first started out with men, worshiping men. Then it was birds. Then it was beasts. And then it was the lowest of the low, creeping things. Downward progression. Now, my friends, once there is a change of mind, there follows outward changes. You heard what the Lord said when He said, As a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. If you think on something long enough, it will begin to impact how you act. Outward actions result from inward attitudes. Outward actions result from inward attitudes. Now, what can stop this downward spiral? Nothing but the hand of God. And this is that other side of the coin that I mentioned earlier. There are some people who are left to their just deserts. 
You see, that's why I say I'm saved by grace. The Lord didn't leave me to my just deserts. He did not allow me to reap what I had sown. Notice what it says, and I have to hurry. Verse 24. Verse 24. God gave them up to uncleanness. This is divine abandonment. They deserted God, and He deserted them. And His desertion of them is just and righteous. They got what they wanted. He let them do what they pleased. And as a result, they got what they deserved. What are they doing? They're worshiping themselves, verse 25. They changed the truth of God into a lie and worshiped and served the creature more than the Creator. My friends, anytime people will not worship and receive the truth about the true and living God, they are always worshiping themselves in the form of some other God. They always worship God to be something other than what He is, and that's how they're going to imagine Him to be more like they are. They're more like they are. So they deserted God, and He deserted them. They're worshiping themselves. All false religion is self-worship because, I say it again, when we reject the true and living God, we worship gods and goddesses who are like ourselves. Then, So God gave them up, verse 24. Then verse 26, God gave them up to vile affections. This word vile is atomia. It means disgraceful, to disgraceful affections, to that which is against nature. Then in verse 28, God gave them over. He gave them up in verse 24, He gave them up in verse 26, and He gave them over to a reprobate mind in verse 28. And this word reprobate is another Greek term, of course, adokimos. It means unfit or not approved. Once the mind becomes reprobate, it will drive its owner to great lengths to satisfy its cravings, that is, to do what cannot be conveniently done. They go to a lot of trouble just to satisfy the cravings of their reprobate mind. This is exactly what Paul is saying here. What sort of mind is approved by the Lord? What sort of mind is is he happy with? Is he pleased with? Well, how about this? Whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of good report, if there's any virtue, he likes virtuous things, if there's any praise, well, you can praise God and say, I can praise God for this. Think on these things, Philippians chapter 4 and verse 8. That is, we ought to fill our minds with those things that are good in God's sight, things that would please Him, things that are true, that are noble, are right, pure, lovely, honorable. Let this mind be in you which was in Christ Jesus, we're told. Now, you remember this lesson. Those who will not honor the Lord will dishonor themselves. If you won't honor the Lord, you'll end up dishonoring yourself. It all begins in the mind. Occupy your mind with the things of the Lord and the teachings of the Word of God, and the rest of you will follow. 
Refuse to hear the Word of God. Refuse to believe. Refuse to fill your mind with the mind of Christ, and the rest of you will follow. So in light of these things, how can a person who wants nothing to do with the will of God complain when they're passed by? How can a person who doesn't want anything to do with the Lord complain when they're passed by? Now, I want you to turn to Romans 9, and I'm really going to try to hurry. Romans chapter 9. You see, when God passes by a person, He passes by them in a right and just manner. Nobody's ever been passed by and got what they deserved that didn't deserve to get what they deserved. That's the truth. If you want mercy, then seek mercy in the Lord. But He can pass you by all that needs to happen for us to perish in our sins. I want to make these final statements, and I'm through. Number one, all that needs to happen for us to perish in our sins is for the Lord to leave us alone. Now, if you want to be left alone, you just keep telling Him to leave you alone, and He just might do it. Especially if you say, for Christ's sake, leave me alone. I can tell you stories of women and men who made that statement. The preacher was talking to them, and they didn't want to hear, and they said, leave me alone for Christ's sake. And he said, okay, for Christ's sake, I'll leave you alone. And this was in a meeting. They left the meeting, and in about 10 minutes, they went out into eternity in an automobile wreck. He that is often warned if he hardens his neck shall suddenly be destroyed, and that without remedy. That's what Solomon said. So all that needs to happen for us to perish in our sins is for the Lord to leave us alone. Number two, mercy is strictly and absolutely in his hands. He does not owe us anything but judgment. And guess what? I don't want what I deserve. I want what I don't deserve. I don't want justice. I want mercy. That's what I want. Now let's read God's Word. Verse 14. In light of all this stuff that I've said, what shall we say then? We're going to charge God with unrighteousness? Paul says, God forbid. You've heard the evidence. The God of the Bible is an electing God. He passes by some. Are you going to charge Him with unrighteousness, or are you going to bow before His sovereign will? But here's what Paul says, verse 15. He said to Moses, I will have mercy. Thank God for that. But guess what? On whom I will have mercy. And I will have compassion. Thank God for that. But on whom I will have compassion. So then, verse 16, it, this mercy, this compassion, is not of him that wills, it's not of him that runs, it's of God that shows mercy. 
What does that mean? It means no one deserves mercy. No one can earn mercy. No one can come up with a certain type of uh, response and make God have mercy. No one can make God have mercy. He alone makes the decision to have mercy or not have mercy. And there are only two reasons for the Lord to tolerate any human being. Number one, to have mercy on us. Or number two, to leave us without excuse. Look at Mr. Pharaoh, verse 17. Verse 17. Look at Mr. Pharaoh. The Scripture said to Pharaoh, for this same purpose, I raised you up that I might show my power in thee and that my name might be declared throughout all the earth. He said, Mr. Pharaoh, the way you got on the throne was not through your inheritance, not through your family. I raised you up and I put you on the throne. Through the raising up and the utter overthrow and destruction of Mr. Pharaoh, God's right to pass by and his power to destroy was demonstrated in Mr. Pharaoh. And if you ask why, even so, Father, for it seemed good in thy sight. And anybody who doesn't like it, you take it up with him when you see it. You will see it. You take it up with him. Therefore, here's a conclusion, verse 18. Has he mercy on whom he will have mercy, and whom he will, he hardens. You know one way he hardens? I've already told you. Just leave us alone. We're in a hardening process. Just leave us alone. Leave us to ourselves. If he lets us do as we please... If he allows us to continue to resist, we'll be hardened. And we can pass a point of no return. You know, there's two things that I deal with in my life. One is I never give up hope on anybody. I don't know. I'm always hoping that even if they died, they called on the Lord before they died. I'm always hoping that. But at the same time, I don't know. Maybe they were cut off a long time before they died. I don't know. Only the Lord knows. He's told me to preach the gospel and to admonish and exhort people to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ that they might be saved. And that's what I'm going to do. If he lets any of us do what we please, we'll be hardened. What did you want? I tell you what I want. I want mercy. That's what I want. May the Lord add his blessings on the teaching of his word. We're going to ask Brother Joshua and the musicians to come up and lead you in a hymn or two while we prepare for baptism. Okay, everyone, if you all would stand with us, we're going to sing in Christ alone. In Christ alone, my hope is found, 
He is my light, my strength, and my song. This cornerstone, this solid ground, firm through the fiercest drought and storm. What heights of love, what depths of peace, when fears are stilled and when striving cease. My comforter, my all in all, here in the love of Christ I stand. In Christ alone, who took on flesh, fullness of God in helpless babe, this gift of love and righteousness, scorned by the ones he came to save. Till on that cross, as Jesus died, the wrath of God was satisfied for every sin on him was laid here in the death of Christ I live there in the ground his body lay light of the world by darkness slain then bursting forth in glorious day up from the grave he rose again and as he stands in victory since curse has lost its grip on me for i am his and he is mine bought with the precious blood of christ no guilt in life no fear in death this is the power of christ in me from life's first cry to final breath jesus commands my destiny no power of hell and no scheme of man can ever pluck me from god's hand till he returns or calls me home here in the power of christ i live no power of hell and no scheme of man can ever pluck me from his hand till he returns or calls me home here in the power of christ I'll stand here in the power of Christ. I'll stand. Um, give me a G, Sue. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved us.
Jesus Christ to settle an argument with his disciples about who would be the greatest in the kingdom called in a child not an infant but a child and said except you become like this child unless you're converted and become like a child you will in no wise enter the kingdom of heaven. One of the sternest rebukes that Christ gave to his disciples, they were kind of like the, his security guards. They began to see themselves like that, and they would keep people who wanted to come up and ask him questions. They'd keep them away. And there were a lot of mothers there with some children. They wanted the Lord Jesus to touch their children and to pray for them, and the disciples were trying to keep them back and Jesus said no no let the little children come unto me suffer the little children to come unto me for of such is the kingdom of heaven he said so we've got a young man today he's going to come down his name is James Lawrence James is uh, 11 years old I believe uh, his mom and dad are Michael and Lisa Lawrence now, I don't know if James will end up being a veterinarian, but both of, his, both of his parents are veterinarians. They work on animals, and uh, the Lord has blessed their labors and their work. I'm not sure how it all works right now, but I do know they have their own place down to 840. You might check with them if you have any pets that you want them <laughs> to look at. So, James, I don't know what you're going to do with your life. Only the Lord knows that. But you've certainly had a good example set for you with your mom and uh, your dad. Now, I believe you're 11 years old. Is that right? Uh, I'm 12. Okay. Uh, James is a great name. You know, one of the brothers of our Lord was named James. There's a book in the New Testament named after James. I often say that the James of... The book of James is from Missouri, which is called the Show Me State. 
because in the book of James, that James says, listen, don't tell me what you believe, just show me. I can watch you for a little while and I can tell what you believe, whether you believe anything or not, and that's true. And maybe you might have a personality like that, I'm not sure. James, do you believe that Jesus was the Son of God? Yes. Do you believe that when he died on the cross, he died on the cross to put away your sins, to be able for God the Father to forgive you of your sins? Yes. That's what you believe. And you're not trusting anything or anyone for your, to, for your forgiveness, but Jesus only. Is that right? Yes. So you're not trusting me or this church or even your baptism. You're trusting him only to put away your sins, to forgive you. Right? Mm-hmm. Okay. All right. Upon your profession of faith, my brother, I baptize you unto the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, baptized with him in the likeness of his death, and raised with him in the likeness of his resurrection to walk in newness of life. And when Jesus was baptized, he went up straightway out of the water, Matthew 3, 16. Let's stand together. Baptism is such a simple thing, but it has profound implications. We do not believe that baptism washes your sins away, but we do believe that if you are a believer, you should be willing to do what the Lord wants you to do. And uh, that thief on the cross, I believe, if he could have gotten down off the cross, the one who said, remember me when you come into your kingdom, I believe he would have been willing to do anything the Lord told him to do. And that's what we should do. My friends, I hope you've seen today that God is just. When he saves us, he doesn't save us unjustly. Somebody has to pay for our sins. We have to pay for them, or the Lord Jesus Christ has to pay for them. But if he passes by people, if he leaves them to what they want, leaves them to their just deserts, that is also right and just. So I say, if you desire mercy, then come to Christ. Amen. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and you will be saved. Amen. Our Father, we call upon you in the name of Jesus Christ, your Lord, our Lord, and your, your Son. And we thank you for this young man who has professed his faith in you. I pray, Father, that you will put your spirit upon him and in him, and that he will be sealed until the day of redemption, until the trump of God sounds and the dead in Christ should be raised first, and then those who have gone on to be with the Lord will return with him, And we'll be caught up together with them, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. We thank you for this great hope. We thank you, Lord, for your great salvation. We thank you that you've had mercy upon us. We pray for those who have never believed, who have never come to Christ. We ask you, O Lord, to have mercy upon them 
and leave them not unto themselves, but work a work in their heart that will give them a new heart and a new mind. If any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things are passed away, and behold, all things are becoming new. We thank you for this day. We thank you for this worship time of worship that you've given us. We thank you for the safety and the protection. We ask you to bless us as we part and use us to glorify your name. Through Christ Jesus the Lord, I pray for his sake I ask it. Amen. 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 Thank you.